for the people in Jerusalem, Nehemiah, we're going to continue our series on Nehemiah. Nehemiah was working to help the people um, by giving them direction. We've kind of seen that as we've, we've gone through chapters 1 through 6. We witnessed how Nehemiah was able to leave his position uh, of authority uh, to go into Jerusalem to give direction for the rebuilding of the wall, uh, for the setting of the doors. We saw how he gave direction to the, the nobles and the, the people who were in power. Uh, he gave direction by saying, don't take advantage of your brothers and sisters who are in need right now. We saw how as he faced opposition after opposition after opposition that was attempting to to thwart the direction that they were moving and that he he stood firm and, and continued to guide the people in the manner that God had shown him to do. Think direction. You think about that. There's a lot of different things that can give us a sense of direction that can can cause us to maybe lose our course or, or have to, to have a course correction. I remember one of the, it was about four years ago when I had first moved into this neighborhood. I ran probably a lot more then than what I do now, uh, as the people in the Saturday morning running group probably know. Uh, but I went running for the first time in this neighborhood, and I just went out, and I was going to run a couple miles, and I started doing that, and and if you don't know this about the streets, there's not a straight street in Princeton Estates. And so I'm running, and then as I was going, I just kept going, and time was going by, and I was just looking. And then I realized I had no idea where I was. I had no idea how get to get back to the church. I had no idea how to get back to the house. And, and there's times in our life that we get to this point, and we're like, okay, what do I do? Luckily... For me, for, for my sake, I, I had uh, this thing called a phone along because I was using it to track all my, my running. So I could go on there and I could go to my running app and I could say, oh, okay, so this is where I have been. And then I could open up my Maps app and, and say I want to go home and, and this is where I need to go to, to get where I'm wanting to go. This is where I need to go to, to get back to where I was before. There's so many ways we can get a sense of direction. Sometimes it's, it's, yeah, it's those phones. Maybe it's those paper maps. Maybe it's those flip books that are going to tell you how to get from point A to point B to, to show you how to get to the next place you're going uh, with the fewest miles or the fastest route or avoiding highways or all those things are things that you could choose. Otherwise, there's, there's books, too, that could give direction, right? Like books like parenting books or decluttering books or cookbooks or uh, for the cadets, knot tying books. All these different books that are going to give us a, a sense of direction in a certain area so that we can learn how to make a meal that we haven't before, or we can learn how to tie that slip knot, which would be so useful in some situation. But I think there's other points and other ways that we are given direction, or can be direct in that 
directed that doesn't have to do with well-written words or turns of phrases. It doesn't necessarily have to do with directions on a map or on your phone. I think sometimes we can be directed by the longings that's, that are in our hearts. Maybe we're directed by the longing of our heart to feel loved by somebody. Maybe we're directed by the desire of our heart to feel like we have some sense of value and purpose here in this world. Perhaps it's a desire that we have in our heart that we would experience joy and that we would have happiness in, in this moment right, right now. Maybe there's other desires to our desire in our heart that we would experience or have some type of power, prestige, or always have this desire to know everything, to have all the right answers. Any of these desires, the desires of our hearts, the direction we can get in, in books, the direction we can get on maps, it, they reorient our life. They, they adjust the way that we're living and, and where we're going. As we head to Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, the people are really beginning to be reoriented back to God. They realized that they had been wandering, uh, not just like they were wandering in the desert many, many years ago, but they were spiritually lost. They were, were not following God the way that God had initially intended. They, they realized that there's this idea of a, of a course correction that's, that's needed. And, and these are people that are familiar with who God is. They, they had followed him. Their, their parents had followed him. Their grandparents had followed him. They heard all of these stories of faithfulness and all these stories about how God was with them during all these different times, and yet they, they, still, they still would wander away. And we wouldn't actually have to go back too far from Nehemiah to find a place of another, you could call it a course correction, and that would be in the book of Ezra, which is roughly about 10 years before the book we're in today. And it's when Ezra worked to have the people confess what what they were doing to have a course correction, to, to repent. And repenting is you're going one direction and repenting is you're not going to go that you do like a complete 180 and, and you start going in that new course. But what we find out today is it didn't stick, right? That course correction didn't stick, so there's going to have to be another course correction. So uh, and again, we, uh, it's going to be Ezra that will be leading this course correction. So let's head to Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 this morning. And that will be page 389 in the Black Bibles if you grab one of those in, in front of you. If there's any students in the midst, uh, page 572 for your Bibles. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. 
So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Padiah and Mishael and Malkijah and Hashum and Hashbadanah and Zechariah and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, uh, Kelita, Azariah, Jehozbad, Hanan, and uh, Peliah instructed the people of the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest and the teacher of the law, the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this is a holy day to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This is a holy day to your Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. All the people came together. It's this, this picture of all of the people, all the people that had been, been working together to build the wall. All the people that had been working together to set the doors, all the people that had been working in unity for one purpose to complete this task where some of them were even multitasking, building the wall while having their sword ready to defend whatever was coming their way. All of them, men and, and women and the others who could understand, come to one place to gather together to hear God's word. A picture of the Lord's people coming together for worship. Everyone with an understanding age, right? That's, 
I think the philosophy here behind uh, why Princeton has all individuals who are third grade and above stay in the worship service because we believe that they are of an age of understanding that, that they can glean something, that they can understand something that's happening in here as, as the Word of God is taught through songs and prayers and Scripture. All the people gathering together I think the others who can understand, I think we can picture that as, as children, as, as, as their own parents recognize that, yes, their children are of an age of understanding. They can come with us to, to hear God's word. And so Ezra, he, he begins as he stands in front of the men and the women and the people who could understand. He, he stands up on a wooden platform. I think it was called a, a bima at that time. And he stands on this wooden platform for everybody can, can see him as he reads the word. And so they're in the, the square by the water gate. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Head back to the first part. As he read it aloud from daybreak until noon. The people stood and and listened to the word being read and listened to the Levites explaining the word that was read from daybreak till noon. Daybreak till noon. And Ezra was being supported by these, these 13 people that I struggled reading their names, right? Uh, he was supported by those individuals as he read. I don't know what the importance uh, was of, of having a certain number stand on the left and a certain number on the right, but, but it was an opportunity for these individuals to support Ezra as he taught, as he led the people in the Word for such a while. This morning, uh, I had someone from church come up to me no names, and asked, Pastor Steve, uh, how long do you think the sermon's going to be this morning? And I said, well, we're actually reading a passage about Ezra reading the word from daybreak until noon. And so with a smirk, the individual's like, oh, so noon then. And I didn't say a word. I just said, we'll find out. I wonder, the people listening to Ezra, listening for such a long time, I, I wonder what it would have been like to witness their posture as they were standing there. Were they up on the balls of their feet waiting on the words as they came? Were they kind of slouched parents leaning on their smaller children who are of age of understanding because they were getting tired of being there? How were they doing? What were they like? Because if we remember back a couple chapters, these were people that, that while they didn't seem to have enough food, they, they didn't seem to have enough money for food, some of them were, 
were mortgaging their fields. Some of them were, were uh, selling their own family members to get money for food. And, and yet, yet somehow they were all able to be united in this square listening to the Word of God and, and apparently listening to, for understanding, attentively hearing God's Word. And we do actually hear a little bit about their posture, don't we? They begin to worship the Lord and then they put their faces down on the ground, weeping. They recognize after hearing the word of God as Ezra spoke it. They recognize after hearing the Levites instruct them on what that word means that they have once again, like 10 years had gone by before, they were, were failing and following the word. They begin to weep faces on the ground. Faces prostrate in front of the Lord as they, as they begin to be once again reoriented. You know, I think, I think that's a thing that sometimes it's hard to remember that our journey with the Lord is one where He's going to constantly reorient our lives. He's going to continually come into our life in a way where, where we will be reoriented, where we're going one direction, and He's going to end up sending us a different way. Uh, author George MacDonald, when, when talking about uh, our spiritual life and our life where we recognize our own sin, where we're reoriented away from that, uses an example of talking about rocks talking about boulders. If we, if we take this idea of talking about rocks, as we began to, to create a garden in the little center area over there, when we first looked at it, it, it looked pretty good. It was just this green grass, this flat area, and, and we thought, yeah, that would be great for planting. And so, so we started the work of, of tilling things. And standing behind a tiller and going, and then we encountered boulders that would cause those tillers, those machines, to just stop. And then we would have to do the work of, of taking care of that boulder, taking care of that piece of concrete that was thrown in there because they didn't want to dispose of it another way or whatever. And, and so then you had to, to lift these things out and, and carry them and, and get rid of them. And, and then we thought, okay, we got rid of the boulders. We're, we're all set. But then we, we realized that after every frost, after every year, there just seems to be, maybe not boulders, but seems to be these rocks that keep appearing, these rocks that we keep being made aware of that we need to, well, now we need to focus on that. It's the same way with our spiritual life, perhaps. Maybe when we begin following Christ, it, our life maybe looks like that nice green grass. 
maybe maybe not quite as nice as a golf course green, you know, but but we think it looks pretty good. But then when we start following the Lord, he begins to make us aware of those boulders that we thought were maybe there just for decoration, but we realize that that's something that we need to start working on. And as we we take care of that boulder, then this other rock gets pointed out, this rock that came up from the ground. And and as as we keep going through our life, then, then we see something else in the ground, but what we don't realize, it's another boulder just lying under the surface. Our journey with the Lord is this consistent effort as we work with Him on realizing those areas where we have, have fallen short and then focus in on what area, that area is. As we work the ground, so to speak, the ground of our spiritual life with God. Consistently being aware of those small pebbles, those rocks, those boulders lying under the surface. Consistent teaching throughout our life as we hear what God's Word is and how we are made more and more aware of His involvement in our life and how He would like us to live towards the direction of His grace. That's why we hear the word this morning. That's why, as Steve leads us in, in worship, that we sing songs with themes of Scripture, sometimes Scripture itself. That's why he and others lead us in prayers. That's, that's why we spend so much time in, in confession to the Lord, recognizing that, yes, yes, Lord, there's, there's that rock in our life. That, that barrier that, that we need to be reoriented around, that we need to, to deal with. But the thing is, when we worship here, we, we never stop at this concept of confession, don't we? We never, we never stop wallowing in sin because what that does, what sin does, is it shows us our immense need of God and it drives us to who God is and, and what He's done for us. And I think we can see a little bit of what happens uh, in Nehemiah as well. As the people were being made known the Word, Nehemiah and Ezra step in and, and say, really, an, an assurance of God's presence in their life. We call it an assurance of pardon, or we call it God's grace for us today. And he tells, this is, this is not a day for weeping. This is not a day for mourning, but it is a day for joy. It is a day for joy because it's a holy day to the Lord. It's a, it's a day for joy because it is the Lord who is your strength. In the same way for us, the Word has been made known to us too, right? That's why we spend time. Our denomination emphasizes teaching of God's Word, right? Where we would read His Word and walk through passages together and, and, and have individuals 
teach us what God's Word is saying to us. Not only does God make Himself known in in the Word here, not only does He make Himself known if we would go back through the law like what the Levites and Ezra were teaching the people, but I think we have a benefit of knowing another word. We always read Scripture through the lens of Christ, which is the Word that has been made known to us. If we go to John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If we skip ahead to verse 14, and it's that Word that became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The writer goes on to say, We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. God has given us the ability to know this Word made flesh. That's a different type of Word than what the Israelites knew. The the Israelites knew the Word as as a, only as a, a way of living, as commandments that the Lord had given them, as, as this way that they needed to follow, sacrifices they needed to do, a life fully, essentially dependent from what it seemed is on their ability to do those things, where we have, have been introduced into a word that that's different. A word that is, is not a, a perhaps a requirement in a sense on our life. That is demands placed on the way we live. But the word that, that we've come to interact with is the word of salvation. The Word who was willing to come to this world, stepping down from His own position of authority, stepping down from His place of honor, stepping down to be in this world, coming to flesh in the same way that you and I came to flesh as a baby. And yet He came full of grace and full of truth to show us a new way of salvation that is not a requirement, but it is a gift to you and to me. The Word made flesh coming into our life, giving us a gift, not only a recognition of where we were before as a slave to sin, but now instead as one who is declared as righteous and now is indwelled by God Himself by way of the Holy Spirit in our life. Salvation in our life. Knowing that as we, as we go through the world, as we as we encounter those boulders and those pebbles and those stones that, that somehow keep being made known to us, we, we recognize that it's, 
It's not by our own power. It's not by our willpower, not by our own strength, not by the, the, the amount of muscle or mental aptitude that you have that you'll get by those things, but instead, just as Nehemiah and, and Ezra said to the people, that, that they go forth in joy because the Lord is their strength. As we encounter those boulders, we recognize it is not by our strength that we will be able to follow God, but it's by his strength and his power and his spirit that is within us. It's, it's the power of God at work in our life that, that gives us the ability to, to move boulder after boulder, throw stone after stone, pick up pebble after pebble on our spiritual journey with him. It's his power and his presence in our life that gives us the ability to have joy. Joy, just as you saw how joyous those kids were as they were running to get a sucker, that same joy and even so much more is, is in our life when we recognize that, that the word that has been made known to us isn't a word of requirement, but it's a word of, of salvation. That, that the, the word that God gave us was not a burden he placed on our life, but it was one that would take the burdens off our shoulders and put them squarely on Christ. Because God knew that we couldn't handle it on our own. He knew that salvation needed to come by His power and by His authority and by His Son, Jesus Christ. A word that isn't a requirement. A word that was our salvation. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you how you continually come into our life through the Spirit by speaking to us your Word, your Word that corrects our path, but your Word which also shows you to be a gracious and loving and merciful God. Your word that has, has shown us that time after time and time again, you will come and pursue your people that they may experience the joy of life with you. That we would experience the joy of your indwelling presence in our life. Lord, help us to live not by our power, or not by our might, not by our own strength, but help us to live lives that are fully dependent on you and your spirit to guide us and direct us towards your grace and towards your mercy. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.